if I do a good job picking that market category and all those assumptions that I trigger in your mind are true, fantastic. Because I don't have to tell you who my competitor is. It's assumed. I don't have to list every single feature. It's assumed, right? But if I did a lousy job of picking my market category and what I triggered was a bunch of assumptions about your product that are not true, now you got trouble. And I'm going to spend all my time trying to unwind the damage that that positioning has already done. Welcome to episode eight of season six of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. This is your first time listening. Thank you very much. Why not hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops? Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If you've heard the show before, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or drop us a comment in the episode on Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is April Dunford. If you've ever searched online for positioning your business, you know that there is a ton of material out there. But where things fall off quickly is the actionable items and exercises you need to work through in order to actually do it. That's why I'm stoked to have on today's episode, April, who literally wrote the book on positioning. Obviously awesome. How to nail product positioning so customers get it, buy it, love it is the title of her book. While the book refers to products, most of it can be applied to services as April points out in today's show. But she explains why it's slightly harder with services, but how to navigate through that. She also shares her experience when she first became a consultant herself and how her loose positioning was actually putting her into a bucket of copywriting. In this episode, we dive into what makes some businesses fail and what makes them succeed, the principles and science behind positioning and how people's brains work when seeing something new for the first time. And finally, how positioning can align you to comparables in a similar space, but highlight why you are different and better for your customers. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, Feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I'm here with April Dunford. She wrote, obviously, awesome. It's like the manual on positioning, and I'm super excited for you to be here, April. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's funny. We were were talking about how things uh, were making us disconnect in a way, and I think in of itself, that is kind of ironic because of the tools that we were trying to use was like, hey, you're positioning yourself as, hey, let's connect two people's calendars together. How come this isn't working, right? So it's <laughs> right. a little ironic, right? Oh, yeah. So I like to ask a lot of folks that show up on the show and ask them what your defining moment in life so far is. My defining moment in life. I don't know if I believe in a defining moment in my life. You know, I I will say that 
my life has been a lot more free form than I expected it to be. Like, I think I expected to have more of a plan and follow a plan. And that didn't happen at all. <laughs> like, like, you know, like I have a degree in systems design engineering. And when I finished school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I literally lucked into a job at a startup. And I've been doing startups ever since. Hmm. And the job happened to be in marketing even though it wasn't really sort of a marketing job, it was, I was hired to be a technical evangelist, which is a, it kind of a job where you need the tech skills, but you need to be able to talk to people and do presentations and things, which I was pretty good at. But, you know, I often think about that first job and how, you know, my whole career took this kind of turn. <laughs> it never would have if I had taken some other job, you know, maybe I would have come to this place. I don't know. I doubt it though. I, you know, so I, th I think you do sort of, I, I kind of believe in serendipity that way. Mm. I, I think there's only so much you can plan for. And then the rest of it, you know, just kind of stuff happens and you get lucky and you just do things and then you end up where you end up. Yeah. No, I mean, it's funny. I was talking with another guest on the show, Philip Van Dusen, and he likes to look at his career like a spider web, not necessarily mm. a ladder. And uh, mm. it sounds very similar to what you're, what you're saying here is that I am very methodical and I knew that I wanted to work for myself. I just didn't know why and I didn't know how. I didn't know all of those things. So I just always kind of just feel like I'm a little bit lucky in how I ended up where I ended up because the yeah. internet came along. And I was in college in the 90s and the internet wasn't even a thing really at that point in time. And like, you know, all of a sudden I'm writing web pages and I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing this thing that people need and, and all that sort of thing. So I feel like I lucked into that whole thing. Yeah. It's funny you say that because like I'm, you know, I'm a consultant now. So I, I run my own business now, but I never had a desire to run my own business. Isn't that funny? Hmm. Like now everybody's all like entrepreneurship, blah, blah, blah. But my big thing was I got really into marketing, like really into the idea of what makes some products successful and some products fail and what makes like particularly in tech where, you know, we come up with these things and they're so new and weird and hard to understand. And some of them take off and some of them people just never get their heads around. Hmm. And in my mind, that's the hardest problem you can solve in marketing. And so I got really interested in that problem. But I was never like sitting around going, I got to run my own business. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like none, of, none of that. And so I was quite happy to, you know, work for people and work on teams and work on projects that weren't my project. They were just projects. And, and I thought they were all fine. But then I did end up transitioning into consulting more because I felt like I had kind of outgrown the vice president of marketing role. And I had done it a bunch of different times at a bunch of different companies. And I thought, you know, I can still sort of pursue this thing that I'm still super interested in but I could do it a little more at scale by working with dozens of companies instead of just one at a time yeah. over years. But I, you know, it was quite late in my career by the time I, I thought, yeah, this would be a good thing to do. Let's go do this now. Mm. And again, it was more kind of, I just kind of fell into it. I was like, yeah, I should try this out for a while. And now it's been years. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I can't imagine doing anything else. Like now, now I, you know, I've said that before and then I get recruited into some company, but now I think it's actually true. I, I think this is it for me. Hmm. So I'm interested to hear, like you said that you, 
you loved working in startups and then you also loved solving that complex problem of yeah. essentially, you know, describing something and selling something and marketing something that people don't necessarily get or understand. Why do you think that is? I mean, does it come from your just innate curiosity to try to You know why? Because it's so hard. Like I like so I so I came out of engineering and in engineering I just didn't find engineering that hard. <laughs> like, there's like, there's rules and you learn the rules and you, and you follow the rules and, and things work out. And if it's not working out, it's because you messed up somewhere and you weren't following the rules right or whatever. But then when I, when I graduated and I started working more on the business side, there are no rules. There are, there are some, right? They're guideposts, but it's way harder. Like, like what you found that worked perfectly at the last company doesn't work at all at the next one <laughs> and for, for reasons that sometimes you can figure out and sometimes you can't. And it just seems so much harder to me, like positioning in particular, it's probably interesting that this is the thing that I focus on now. Like that in particular was a problem that vexed me for like a decade. Mm. So we think about positioning, like in marketing, Positioning is sort of the foundation. So you can think of it almost like, like I have a degree in systems design engineering. So I think about things like there's inputs and there's outputs. Right, right. So if I'm making a campaign or I'm doing a sales tactic or I'm creating content, any sort of marketing thing I'm doing, I have this standard set of inputs. And the inputs are, who's my target customer? What are my differentiators? What's the value that I can deliver to that customer? Like these are the basic inputs. And taken together, that's just another fancy way of saying positioning because positioning defines that. It defines how you're the best in the world at doing something that a fine set of people cares a lot about. And so it defines what my differentiators are, what my value is, who my target market is, all that stuff. And yet there was no methodology for positioning. Like I went and took all these marketing courses and I learned a lot of stuff in taking marketing courses. And there were lots of courses where they defined what positioning is. Uh, and there's a, there's a great book that, that you take when you go to marketing school and you learn about positioning. The, the book is called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind. And it's by these guys, Reason Trout. And they do this amazing job of defining what positioning is, but they don't tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. the, the idea is you're supposed to call them and they're going to do it for you. <laughs> mm. And I'm like, this is bonkers. And here we have this thing. It's fundamental to everything we do. And there's no methodology to do it. And like, this just doesn't happen in engineering. <laughs> like there's like, there's, you know, if, I, if I'm going to build a bridge, <laughs> there's, right. there's, 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 we know how to do this. Right. And so I just got intrigued by that, by the hardness of that problem, the difficulty of it. Like there must be a way to figure that out. Like, like, and it turns out there is, it just took me forever to formulate it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think also because engineering is like physics and it's math it's and math. it's, it's like, it's you know, there's, it's, it's yeah. kind of like black or white, right? Whereas people, people are complicated. Right. Exactly right. Right. <laughs> people are the def defining thing of positioning. Right. And that, that's the, at the backbone and we are unexpected. Mm. Uh, you know, we're surprising, you know, like you said, you could do one yeah. thing and it works great. Then you do it again tomorrow and it falls flat. It's like, what's the difference? Yeah. But what's crazy is that there are principles, right? It's just that, you know, I, I found when I first got into marketing, people didn't want to think about the principles. They wanted it to be magic. And nobody wanted it to be magic more than the marketers. Like they wanted it to be art. And, and I came at it like, okay, I get, I 
give you that, that there's a good chunk of art involved in this, but there's a good chunk of science here too. And y'all are just ignoring it on purpose because you don't want there to be any science in this. And I'm kind of at it and I'm like, I want maximum science <laughs> right, right, yeah. and minimal art because it's the, the science is the only piece I can control. So like, for example, in positioning, if you look at the research, the research tells us that as human beings, when we encounter something that we have never encountered before, we use what we already understand to figure out this new thing. So we kind of use a reference point of what we know to figure out what the heck is this new thing I know nothing about. And so in marketing, what that means is I try to figure out what box to put you in, what frame of reference to put you in. And if you don't give me one, I got to make one up. And if you give me one, I'm going to grab that and run with it as hard as I can. And usually that framing is market categorization. So if I were to come up to you and say, hey, I got this product and I don't tell you anything about it. I just say, hey, I got this product and it's a CRM. I have told you nothing. All I've done is told you the market category, but I guarantee you, you just made a bunch of assumptions about that product in your head. Mm -hmm. Who's my competitor? Yeah. Salesforce. Salesforce. Right? Right. Who's, yeah. who's, how much does it cost? Well, probably doesn't cost more than Salesforce. That's the upper bound. Like they own this market. So that's the upper bound. So I just set an upper bound on my pricing right there by telling you I'm a CRM. What, what's my feature set? Well, there's, there's CRM stuff, right? I can probably track a deal across a pipeline. I can keep track of accounts, all this stuff. Who's my target buyer? Vice president of sales. That's who you sell CRM to, right? So, so you just assumed all that stuff. I didn't tell you anything. I just said I'm a CRM. That's the market market category. So if I do a good job picking that market category and all those assumptions that I trigger in your mind are true, fantastic. Because I don't have to tell you who my competitor is. It's assumed. I don't have to list every single feature. It's assumed, right? If my pricing is in the boundaries, then you're probably not going to get a whole lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. But if I did a lousy job of picking my market category and what I triggered was a bunch of assumptions about your product that are not true, now you got trouble. Now you're going to have to spend a significant amount of your sales and marketing energy saying, no, 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 not that kind of CRM. No, 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 not a CRM like that. And I'm going to spend all my time trying to unwind the damage that that positioning has already done. So I, I give you an example. So I got a call from this company and what they do is that the way they pitched to me is they said that they got a thing and it's email for lawyers. These guys are ex-lawyers. And they came up with this idea that lawyers and people are collaborating on a deal and they need a way to securely share documents and stuff. And so they're going to do that in this email for lawyers thing. So they show me, they show me the demo and it looks kind of cool and it looks kind of like email and stuff. And at one point I said, Hey, how's the calendar work on this thing? And the guy says, Oh, we don't have a calendar. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, well, there's no such thing. If his email has calendar, like you're saying, I can't replace Gmail with this thing. No, you can't. We don't have a calendar. <laughs> so I'm like, well, shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is all good. Like, like, and I'm like, well, wait, back up, back up. Everybody loves you guys. So, you know, what do you got that's so lovable? And they're like, well, we have this thing. We got a patent on it. And it's this context-aware file sharing. And they demo it to me. It's amazing. 
right? And it, it, what it does is this AI thing and it automatically figures out who should have access to a document. And then it has this like super secure spot that the document is in and it only gets shared with the people it's supposed to share and it does all that automatically. It's like magic. It's fantastic. But it's also not email. Right. It's also not email. If I wanted to solve that problem, I wouldn't expect the email would do it. I would buy something like team collaboration to solve that problem. Right, right. And so if I take that exact same product and pick it up and position it in another market, that conversation is going to go way easier. So if I called it team collaboration for lawyers, all my assumptions are different. Like all of a sudden I'm not competing with Gmail anymore. I'm competing with Slack, but it's team collaboration for lawyers. So it probably does some special lawyery things, right? Like, mm -hmm. and team collaboration is all about sharing stuff and file sharing is a big piece of that. So yeah, sure enough, it makes sense. You guys have this super secure file sharing, special duty file sharing thing. That's great. On the pricing side, there's a massive change there because you set your expectation on pricing by talking about your market category. If I tell you it's email, I expect the price to be pretty much free, right? <laughs> like it's exactly. free. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I come in and I say, I got team collaboration for lawyers. That's a whole different pricing ballgame. Like, like people pay a lot of money for team collaboration and team collaboration for lawyers might be extra special. It maybe you spend more money. Sure. We had this really neat conversation. I said to the guys, I said, you know what? On the pricing side, you should call the lawyers up and you should tell them, look, we're going we're gonna to charge you by the minute and just see what the lawyers say. <laughs> they didn't do that. But still, like pricing and features and everything else, a lot of this stuff gets baked into the way you do the positioning. If you misposition it in the beginning, then you will set off these assumptions because people will automatically say, oh, you're in that category. Oh, these are your competition and you're going to be priced like that. What did you think about when April said the word CRM? If you're like myself and most people, you automatically put them into the same box, category, pricing, and even had a vision for what that actually looked like. What happens when a lead hears you say that you're a web developer or a web designer? What happens when you hear those words? Is it a box that you want to be put in? When someone asks you what you do, do you share who you help with a clear focus and precise solution? Or do you just list a number of your previous projects? Really love how April explains what positioning is right from the top here because it's so critical to be able to charge what you want and what you're worth rather than being forced into a bucket that your leads and clients put you in. If you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create that laser focus and precise solution so that you can then position yourself ahead and shoulders above the rest of your contemporaries, specifically for your customers, head on over to feastcourse.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out who your ideal client is and the services that you can provide for them, you'll also learn how to figure out the price to put on those services that makes it a complete no-brainer for the client to sign up for you. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code POSITIONING at checkout, you can get your first month for only $20. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off the project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that you set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for client management, sales, marketing, delivery, and of course, 
pricing. Your business is not the same as everyone else's. When you are a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from me. It's essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in that shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat. Yep, we are going to have a chat so that I can create you a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are and get moving quickly. If you wanna stop chasing down that next project all the time, so that you could start living your life, go to feastcourse.com today and use the code positioning at checkout and your first month is $20. A lot of the audience, they're developers, they're designers, they're marketers, they're our consultants mm. and they provide services and they get pushback a lot of times because they don't, they just say, I'm a developer. Or I'm a designer. Mm. And so they kind of lump themselves into the group of a plethora, a worldwide plethora of other developers and designers and, and alike. Oh my God. When I started consulting, this was terrible. Like I like my bit my problem was at the beginning, I knew I wanted to do positioning work, but I didn't have an offering, right? Like you need an offering. You need a beginning. You need this needs to be a project. There needs to be a beginning or an end. Otherwise, I'm just going to be a freelancer, right? I'm going to be like part-time VP marketing, which, by the way, is a terrible offering. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they, you'll end up doing full-time work for part-time pay. Mm -hmm. So, so at the beginning, I would come in, and nobody would understand positioning, so I would try to explain it. But people would immediately jump to the idea that, oh, that that's messaging. And then if it's messaging, then that makes me a copywriter. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they'd be like, oh, well, copywriters cost X dollars an hour. And, and that's what we're going to have you do. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys got this so wrong. Like, there's nobody that knows how to do positioning work. And positioning work is much closer to business strategy than it's way closer to that than it is to copywriting. So is that how you, you turn the table on them and you said I'm more business? Well, so here's the thing. Most people that I'm in talking to, they've never hired anybody from the outside to do anything strategic. Absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't make that comparison. I couldn't say, look, I'm a management consultant and management consultants are more expensive than copywriters. That's just how it worked. But I did have to do something to get out of this copywriting rut. And so first I would spend a lot of time talking about positioning and here's what it is and here's what you're going to get out of it and whatever. And then I spent a lot of time building the offering, but I still had this problem of the comparable so then I thought, you know what, I just got to look and see what else do these people buy and find the best comparison. So I got thinking about all the services and stuff that I bought when I was a VP marketing or a, or a CEO and my customer is usually a CEO. And you know what I settled on? Every single startup that I've worked with has a PR agency or has had a PR agency at some point. And without exception, everyone hates their PR agency, like absolutely hates them for a handful of reasons. One, the PR agencies come in and lock them in for a big chunk of time, like six months mm -hmm. or a year usually. And then they lock them in at a price that's like, you know, between seven and $10,000 a month and they're locked in for a year. So put it all together. It's like 70 grand, 80 grand, 90 grand, $100,000. 
And then the agency, because they've already made their money, whether they produce any results or not, is highly motivated to ignore you as much as possible (laughs) (laughs) until you yell at them and they're not really getting paid on results, right? They closed you and now you're good. And, you know, when your renewal comes up, you might see a few articles or whatever. So I started just comparing my pricing to PR agency. I'm like, you know, you guys got a PR agency? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you love what they do? Like, oh my God, no. And then that usually, that usually sparks a rant of, you know, how terrible they are. Well, I had an agency for four months and so they were terrible and they never produced anything. Blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times people do expect their agency to figure out their story, right? And figuring out the story is a lot closer to positioning than copywriting. So I'm like, I bet you figured these guys were going to come up with a storyline for your stuff and then put you the media. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, the reason you don't have a storyline for your stuff is you're not clear on who's my people, what's my differentiator, what's my whatever. Mm-hmm. Storylines are different, right? But if you have that figured out, then what we're going to do with that is downstream, we're going to create messaging, we're going to create a sales narrative, we're going to create a bunch of that, and that's going to translate into revenue revenue for you. Like it's a different job than the PR agency. But imagine if you could do all that, and I'm just trying to sell you a couple of days worth of a workshop, which is you know, by the way, cheaper than, you know, two months of working with this PR agency. Right. Then everybody's like, God damn, you're cheap. <laughs> but I had to find a comparable. Like, again, it's this, I had to compare to something because everyone was like, this sounds good, April, but I don't know what it should cost. Right. And so I had to compare it to something. Like, I couldn't just go in and say, I'm doing this weird thing that you've never heard of before. And if I don't give them the comparable, then they're going to fish around for it. And they're going to land on something I probably don't like, like copywriting. Mm. And in your book, you encourage or suggest to call out your competitors, right? You say, hey, look, if you're in a similar space as somebody else, call them out. Yeah, like, well, especially if, like, you wouldn't be positioning yourself in that space unless you felt confident that you are going to win in that space. So this is the way it works, right? Like if I say, again, if I take my CRM example, if I say I got a product in its CRM, everybody's thinking of Benioff, right? Everybody's <laughs> thinking Salesforce. Like I basically just declared war on Salesforce. Now you wouldn't do that unless you thought you were actually declaring war on Salesforce. So you're going to beat Salesforce. What you would do, and that sounds crazy, especially if you're a little startup, you're not going to do that. And that's why you don't just come out and say, oh, I'm a CRM. You say, I'm a CRM for lawyers, or I'm a CRM for super small businesses, or I'm a CRM for restaurants. And people say, well, hang on. Does that mean you compete with Salesforce? And and then you can say, God, we love them. They're awesome. They're huge. Look at them. They're amazing. They're they're by far the leader in the whole space. Not for you, though, because you got these three, four requirements, and those guys can't do that. So, you know, we, that's why we're in the restaurant space. We're not trying to take over the whole space. We're just trying to do this. Mm. And so I think it's fine to call it out. But, you know, but what you're calling out is the difference between you and them is what you're really doing. Right. right. But you can't call them out unless you think you're going to beat them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, otherwise, what are we doing this for anyway? Otherwise, what are we doing this? We're like, hey, I know this other company that does it way better. Maybe you should. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <I got> them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, you don't want to do that. But. But, you know, I, yeah, I've had lots of businesses where we've, we, we, you know, our aim was to dominate a niche and we would go in there talking about the leader for the whole space because it's, it's, it's going to come up in everyone's minds. And so you say, well, you know, we're, 
we're the best solution out there for this. And people will say, well, hang on, doesn't that make you just like IBM or SAP or whatever? And say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the general purpose tool, but not for you. Mm -hmm. right? For you, there's this thing and we're quite confident we can serve you better than them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be positioned there. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a lot of stories on products, but you did it for your service, right? You did it for your consultant service. Yeah. Are there any nuances or differences between products and services when you work with positioning? In my opinion, there isn't. Although the vast majority of my clients are product businesses, but I have done a handful of services businesses. And the hardest thing on the services side is the differentiation. A lot of services businesses just aren't that differentiated. And so on the product side, if you were not differentiated, you die pretty quick. <laughs> on the services side, sometimes your differentiation is you got a great network. <laughs> and you can survive a long time on that differentiation. You just know more people and they hire you because you're the person they know. But your services are actually not all that differentiated. And so in the services businesses that I've worked with, differentiation is usually the hard bit. It's getting at the nut of, you know, if, if I'm trying to sell somebody, what exactly is my secret sauce? Why do you hire me and not the other people? And then it's the matchmaking between that and if this is the thing I'm really good at and the thing where I beat my competitors, what are the characteristics of a company that makes them put a really high price on that value? because those are the people I wanna go pitch to. It's that is the same as products, right? So you're not the best service for everybody. You're the best service for some people. And so key number one is thinking what your differentiation is. And then number two is who cares about that a lot and just talk to those people and don't talk to anybody else. So thinking about me as a, as a consultant, for example. So I have a very specific thing that I do, which is around positioning. I only really feel com comfortable working with tech companies. And even more specific, I only do B2B because B2C is not my bag at all and I don't get it. And so I only do B2B. And the sweet spot, really the sweet spot of my market are B2B startups that have a little enough traction that we can now really hone in on their positioning. And that, that's my real sweet spot of my market. I'm now selling occasionally these bigger companies that have a weird positioning issue, but the sweet spot of my market is this very specific business. Now, sometimes I get calls from people that are outside of that, right? So they'll, they'll like I had one this morning and it's this cool company, but they're business to consumer, they're not my bag. And I just say no to all that stuff because I could sell them something easily, but I don't know if I can deliver what I sold them. Mm. <laughs> and mm. All I got as a consultant is my reputation. I want everybody that finishes a project with me to say, we did good work here and good stuff came out of it. But if you get outside of my space too much, I don't know. Like I could sell right. you. I could easily sell you. I could take your money. But I wouldn't feel confident that at the end, everybody wouldn't be leaning back saying, I don't know if that was good or not. Whereas mm. if you're B2B, seed series A, even series B startup tech. And I've basically screened you to make sure that you got a positioning problem and it isn't something else. But if I screened you and you made it through my screen, we are going to do super duper stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't know. I, 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 I spend a lot of time saying no to people that call me and they're like, Hey, we can do this thing. And I'm like, I don't think I'm your gal. <laughs> and that takes some discipline, right? right like at right. the beginning when you're starting out and you're feeling broke or whatever, 
you feel like you should say yes. Like, and you're like, well, they hired me. Like, it's, you know, it's their fault if it doesn't work out. They picked me. And that's not true at all. You pick your clients. They don't pick you. You pick them. And you should only pick the ones that fall in your, in your sweet spot segment. That's how you build a book of business. That's how you build a referral business. That's how your reputation grows. Like, oh, she's really smart, whatever. Because I'm not really smart at everything. I'm just really smart at this one little thing. <laughs> so if you don't fit in that one little thing, you're not going to come out of this thinking I'm super smart and I want you to. So right. for me, consultants, I feel like that's where they mess up the most. I know that's where I messed up at the beginning. I would say yes to stuff that I should have ran away screaming. Mm. It's something that I've, I learned over the years too, is you, it's best to say no if you're on the fence, right? If they don't fit. Oh, if you're on the fence, it's always a no. If they fit your wheelhouse, talk mm. to them. If they, they're on the outskirts of that, maybe talk to them, but refer them, right? And if they're not even in the ballpark, yeah. just say no, right? Yeah. The other thing too is I screen, because I deal a lot with startup founders, like I usually get hired by the founder. I screen a lot for attitude. Like, like at the beginning I didn't like, and I thought, well, they're calling me, they must want help. Right. <laughs> but there are a lot of founders that call me that, you know, they want to talk to me and they want to bounce some ideas, but they're not actually all that open to changing their mind about stuff. Right. And I, and I, again, at the beginning I said yes to a couple of those and we go do some work and we get to a spot that I think is really good, but you see them walking out the door and you're like, they're never going to implement that stuff. (laughs) And I know where this goes, right? A few weeks later, people are going to say, Hey, how was it work with April? They're going to go, yeah, we didn't really get anything we used. (laughs) (laughs) So I screen really hard for that now at the beginning. Like sometimes I get folks call me in there and I'll probe. I'll be like, do you really think this is a problem? Because if you don't think it's a problem, I can't help solve it. Right. You know, sometimes I get introduced by um, by the investor, like the VCs mm. will say, hey, you should talk to April. Those are not always great because sometimes the founder feels like they got to talk to me and they don't really think they should, but their boss told them to kind of thing. And, and I usually let those guys off the hook. I'm like, no, I think you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> like if you don't think it's a problem, then it's not a problem, dude. I and mean, we shouldn't be wasting each other's time here. There's sure. lots of business, right? There's lots of business around. Yeah. So the book is obviously awesome. Yes. I mean, that's the title. <laughs> and that's what it's it, what it is, too. I'm reading the book and it is. It is very much so. And 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 the thing that I love about it is is that and I am a very yes, there's methods and there's theories and, and you need to know, understand all of those things. But then you actually put some, you know, actionable advice and suggestions and encouragement in the into the book. Could you share a little bit um of what people might get inside the book if they haven't already read it? Yeah. So, um, so this book is the book that I wish I had when I was back and I was still working full-time at startups as the VP marketing. So it came out of my experience. First company that I worked at, I worked in the marketing department and we repositioned a product and it was really transformational to the business. Like we, it was a database and we had originally positioned it as like a personal use database, like a kind of an alternative to Microsoft access. But at the time, people were, you know, mobile devices were just starting to be super popular. And we repositioned it as an embeddable database for mobile devices because it had this really small footprint and it could do full SQL. And, and it, was, it was a great product in there. And that product 
totally took off. We ended up getting acquired by this big, big database company. And that product lives on today as an embeddable database for mobile devices. It's like a billion dollar business. So my thinking on that was, wow, this positioning stuff, if you get it right, it's really powerful, but I don't know how to do it. And like I said, I went and I read all the books and I took the classes and I'm like, how the heck do we do it? And I started talking to other vice presidents of marketing and everybody's doing the same thing as me. We're all just kind of making it up as we go along. Like, oh, you know, I did this and then I kind of worked at this and then some magic happened and then we figured out the positioning. And the closest thing I ever got to methodology for positioning was, you know, in marketing school, you'll learn this thing, the positioning statement, which is like this Mad Libs thing, you fill in the blanks. And this thing drove me nuts because the idea was, one of those blanks was market category and I just fill in market category. And the first time I saw it, I'm in class, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm like, dude, how do we know what's the best market category? Because at this point I had already repositioned three, four products. And as far as I'm concerned, I could position a product in multiple different markets. Like how do I know which one is the best one? And the professor just kind of blew me off. He just says, Oh, trust me, April, you'll know. <laughs> offended my little engineering brain. I'm like, what do you mean? The world doesn't work like that. And so I decided there needed to be a methodology. And so I worked on that for years where I thought, okay, I'm going to break it down into pieces. Like, And positioning can be broken down into pieces. And then I'm going to figure out how you get the best answer for each of the pieces. And so the book is my documentation on this methodology. So it's the methodology that I built originally for me working inside companies. And then later I became an entrepreneur in residence at a couple of startup um, incubators and accelerators. And I started teaching a regular class on positioning and now I'm a consultant and I do workshops. So this thing has been battle tested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've done it enough times now, like dozens and dozens of times that I thought, you know what, I could write this down and teach you how to do it. So the book is essentially that. It's the follow on to the Reason Trout book that explained what positioning is. This thing is going to explain what positioning is and then it's going to tell you how to do it. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. So in the book, I describe how we break positioning down into the five component pieces, which are competitive comparables, unique features, the value that your product delivers, the customer segmentation, so who are the customers you're trying to go after, and the market category that you're in. And then it describes a methodology because it turns out you actually need to work through each of those pieces in a particular order in order to get to real differentiated positioning. And so that's what the book is. It's like a how-to book. And if you want to self-study this and do this on your own, and you don't necessarily want to hire me and bring me in, although there's great value to that too, <laughs> you can buy the book and do it yourself and attempt to figure it out. Mm, yeah, I mean, the book is great. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I am working my way through it. I'm about three quarters of the way through it at this point, but it's it's awesome. I mean, for me, who I have niched down myself um, and really positioned myself in a market, you know, a really tiny market, but I'm a solo business owner. I don't need right. a thousand people, right? And That's so right. even for myself, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I should think about doing this. And I could probably position myself against somebody else rather than having to explain a whole bunch of things. Like if I just had a conversation right. with somebody, um, I could say, yes, I'm like so-and-so. 
but I do this. And so, right. you know, a lot of these things are really actionable. And, and for me, as somebody who loves to take action on things and read content that is actionable, this book is awesome. So thank you for sharing that with us. That's good. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. So before I let you go, um, what's up next in the next six, 12 months? So I'm really, I'm in the thick of a book tour right now. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of flying around speaking at conferences, like I, more than I usually do, which is, which is uh, kind of crazy actually. So we, we were talking before we started the podcast that I've been, I'm in eight cities in the next nine days yeah, <laughs> on this book tour. And, um, and that kind of runs out through the end of the year. I get a few weeks off late July where nobody does conferences and then it starts up again. So that's, that's going on for the rest of the year. And then, you know, because of the book, it's interesting. The, the book has been a really interesting marketing experiment for my consulting business in that it's been out for about a month now and I'm starting to get really interesting inbound inquiries as a result. So up until now, I would say my business has been very much referrals based. Like I work with a founder, he likes what I do, he tells his friends and one of them calls me. And even though I have clients all over the world, it's founders talking to founders. So when I, when people call me, I'll say, how, how'd you know about me? They'll say, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy. And you know, that's how they found me. The book, on the other hand, has, has shaken out a bunch of really interesting business that I, that hasn't come from that. It's come from people have read the book and then said, oh, gee, we have this problem. And working through positioning on your own internally is often hard for a couple of reasons. One, because you need the political capital to be able to do it. Like I know me as a vice president of marketing, I often had to spend three months warming everybody up to the idea that maybe the positioning might have to change because if I had just gone in there guns blazing, they probably would have just fired me. (laughs) (laughs) And so it helps to bring the positioning lady in and then it's not you saying it, it's the positioning lady saying it. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is it's hard to get the whole executive team on board if you're a big team and everybody's opinionated, which we are in startups. sometimes it helps have a moderator to come in and say, I'm Mm. hearing this, but I'm also hearing this and here's how we're going to resolve it. Anyway, so I've got all this really interesting inbound interest that has come from the book. Um, And so I'm going to be doing a lot of consulting and that's my next 12 months, book tour, consulting, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a lot. It might be just three words right there, book tour, consulting, but uh, outside of that, I mean, it's a lot of work. That's it. Nothing else is happening. The occasional podcast recording. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, April, where could folks reach out and say thanks? Uh, my my website is aprildenford.com. And now that the book is done, I, I have great ambitions to go back to blogging. Although now I'm on a book tour and I'm really busy, but um, but there there is some blog content on there so you could go there. And then I'm not very active on, so, on a lot of social channels, but I'm fairly active on Twitter. So if you want to see what city I'm in, you can follow me on Twitter and I'll probably be talking about where I am. Awesome. Well, thanks again, April, for all your time and experience today. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. And for everybody listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
I can speak for both April and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from today's episode. It's really quite easy. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably this one, go ahead and drop a comment or a review in. Or go ahead and share in a tweet and tag me, at Rez, and I'll be happy to pass that along to April as well. Hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Brian Castle. Brian has been a designer providing services, he's built several productized businesses, and he's built products. If there's anyone that can help us with our pricing, it's Brian. Super excited for you to hear that one. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm-hmm.